0: This morning's reading comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Thank you, Mike. Well, I'm
1: really excited to begin a new sermon series with all of you and to be getting into this subject. There's actually a a men's Bible study that's been going through this topic this fall, and uh, so we're going to reap a a bit of the the rewards of of that study that that we've done together. Um, But through mostly a a book that I'll, I'll mention in a little bit, but helping the poor is that so, uh, it's so close to the heart of Jesus, and it's such an important part of Christianity. Uh, Someplace in the last century, uh, there was a time when when those who were helping the poor uh, were primarily those who only believed about half of what the Bible actually said, and for some reason, people who said they believed in what all the Bible said were kind of saying, well, you know, the poor can help themselves, and it was a really messed up situation, Uh, And and, uh, so I'm glad to be getting back to this, uh, looking at how Christians in general are supposed to be helping the poor. So helping the poor, by the way, is a thoroughly biblical uh, mandate. It it tells us that God is profoundly interested in people uh, in our daily lives and that we are to love and care for others. And we don't often get to choose who we are to show love to. Um, So the idea of helping the poor, it's actually an original Christian teaching as far as I can tell. Uh, if you look at ancient cultures, like for the most part, and as far as I've seen, ancient cultures believe that if you're poor, well, you must be afflicted, you must be cursed, you must be uh, unlucky, I'm gonna stay away from you, right? If you have things and you aren't poor, well, obviously that's because you're just morally a better person and God has his favor on you. And so there's, uh, for for millennia, just a general sense that the poor should be neglected and stayed, you know, kept away from. And uh, since, uh, since God, however, has had a different idea, he's been injecting this into uh, the his people and their lives for thousands of years as well. Once Moses gives his uh, law, which is the first part of the Bible. Uh, we see Moses starting to, God using Moses to tell us, hey, you're supposed to take care of the poor among you. Uh, you're supposed to take care of the, the immigrant, the wanderer who has nothing. Treat them like they're your own, right? like they're just one of your own people, right? And even the phrase good Samaritan is a, you know, everyone knows what that means, right? It's someone who helps somebody in need, goes out of their way to help someone in need. That's a phrase borrowed from scripture itself. Now, others have caught on say, hey, this is kind of a nice idea. We should all do charity. We should all help out. But it's really a very original Christian idea, yeah, even to the point where when Christianity was young, it was uh, something that shocked many uh, of those who did not believe in Jesus, that uh, in Rome, for example, all the Christians in Rome were known for not only taking care of their own poor, like the people who were poor who were believers in Jesus, but they also took care of the Roman poor. And uh, the emperor at the time, Julian the Apostate, commented on how how amazing it was, and he kind of wondered, why would they do this? And the answer is, because in essence, we who are saved by Jesus understand what it is to be poor in so many other ways, and understand how Christ's wealth and his generosity to us has changed us spiritually that we can't help but want to show his love to others materially as well. We must help the poor. In fact, we need to step it up. It's a huge problem in every city in America, in every, across the countryside in America, all around the world, of course. But helping the poor is more complicated than we often want to think. That there are so many who, who give uh, when we get to charity, so many who have the, even the best of intentions. Uh, you can give in such a way where the recipient ends up feeling a little inferior, ends up feeling like, well, I'm just going to have to rely on other people to give to me. Maybe I don't have any hope in the future of providing for myself. And sometimes as we give, that can be the overall message. Now, some would say, well, then we just shouldn't give. No, no, no. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. Others would say, well, they should just learn to, uh, you know. One camp would say, well, give to the poor. Other camps would say, uh, you know, hey, just let the poor fix themselves. And there is a, no, both of those don't work. There's a third way, though, that Jesus tells about, that the scriptures tell us about, that we want to look to. Because when the poor already believe that they're defective and inferior human beings, and that's part of maybe why they are in poverty, when people are giving to them, and they feel even more inferior, it can just even further solidify that belief about themselves, and it's almost impossible to get out of poverty. They may end up feeling conquered. Now, Emperor Julius Caesar was famous for going on a military campaign, coming back quickly, and saying, remember we said, we came, or I came, I saw, I conquered. And we don't want the poor to feel conquered. We don't want them to feel, uh, that's not what we want, and that's not what our society needs. But the answer is not to stop giving and it's not to expect you know, tell the poor to rescue themselves, right? So where do we go between the two extremes? Well, in short, we need to ask God to transform our understanding of generosity and charity, to transform our understanding of poverty. And as Romans 12 says, that as our minds are renewed, that this can transform all of us as well, our hearts uh, and everything, our lives. When our minds are renewed, we are transformed. So in this passage, we're going to look, in contrast to Julius Caesar saying, I came, I saw, I conquered. We're going to see how Peter and John, how they came, they saw, they raised him up. Instead of conquering, they came, they saw, they raised him up. My, these are the little th- three points to help us with our outline here. So first, they came. They came. The apostles Peter and John were going to the temple to worship. Uh, others came too. There was the man who was born with a disability. There were his, his friends that carried him there every day. Now, the, uh, Peter and John, and we see this in the first couple uh, verses here. Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They were going to pray. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. Uh, called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of everyone there. Now, Peter and John are going there to pray. The beggar is there every day, all day. His friends are there twice a day. There's a lot of people coming to this one place, right? So that they all came. Peter and John were there to worship. And actually, early Christians worshipped uh, at the temple, just like they did before Jesus came and, and died and rose again. They did this until the temple was destroyed in the year 70, uh, they did this uh, still, going to the temple to pray, because it was this still the same God. They just believed that Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, so it changed worship for them, but it was still the same God, so they went to the temple to worship. Uh, they And this gate uh, was most likely, the beautiful gate was probably like a nickname that, that someone had for it. It was very... Um, ornate. Obviously, a historian says it may have been this fine Corinthian bronze, carefully handcrafted, but this would have been a popular entrance. And so if you were wanting to beg, this would be a great place to go because it's a popular spot for people to enter the temple. And so you want to go where the traffic is, right? In the same way, people who are are begging by the side of the road, do they go and beg inside a building somewhere? No, they beg by the side of the highway at the exit ramp, most you know, or at an intersection when you're waiting to turn left. Like that's where you see people asking for money. Even that's where you see uh, that's where you see firemen raising money when they fill the boot. They go like they know that's where people are going to be to fill the boot for uh, for MS or whatever. I can't remember what the charity is, but they. Um, they go where the people are. Now, this man was born, born this way. He was born with a disability. And I think we need to appreciate a little bit what has to be going on in his mind for him to come to this gate every day. There's, there's a song my kids sang the other day in the car, and it, it, just, it just struck me. And maybe you heard this song, and maybe you sung it when you were a kid, Uh, Maybe you you are a kid and you you know it very well. It's your favorite song. Uh, But there's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, a hole. And then it's, it's, you know, this wonderful duet, right? And then the the, the woman goes, well, then fix it, dear Henry. Dear Henry, dear Henry. Then fix it, dear Henry. Dear Henry, fix it. Anyone know this song? Anybody? Okay. Let let me walk you through the rest of it because it's really key. There's a hole in the bucket, then fix it. With what shall I fix it? With a straw. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how you fix a bucket with a straw, but it's in the song, so whatever. All right, so you fix it with a straw, and the straw has to be cut. So uh, with what shall I fix it? With a straw. With what shall I cut it? With an axe. But the axe is too dull. Then sharpen it. But the sharpening stone is too dry. Then wet it. With what shall I wet it? With water? How am I going to carry the water from the well? with a bucket, but there's a hole in the bucket, and I used to think this is a funny song about a lazy husband or something, but uh, in reality, this very accurately depicts why it's so hard to get out of poverty, because there's so many systems. It's not just about initiative for so many people who are in poverty. There's so much uh, about the system in which they're in that makes it nigh impossible to get ahead, Right? a common example that you might hear more, more often around here. Uh, you know, I, I need a job. Well, in order to have a job, I need a car. Well, I can't afford a car because I don't have a job. Well, I, I need to get a car to have a job to have a job to get a car. And you end up in this cycle where it can be really hard for someone who really wants uh, to try to support themselves, and they just can't. Because the cost of gas in the car and insurance and all of that, you look at that and there's a cost of food and your, your salary that you're making is only covering so much. I mean, it can, and there are other programs we know that, um, that uh, even, that you won't receive government assistance unless you first deplete your savings. I know when my grandmother, who's now passed, when she was hoping, I mean, she was two, she didn't have enough money to go into a private nursing home, but she had a little too much savings to get into a, a government-sponsored nursing home and we had to like figure that out, right? Um, fortunately she didn't have that much and we were able to get her into a, a government sponsored one uh, it wasn't that hard to get rid of what little she had but uh, there, it can be really hard for the poor to get ahead uh, it's a very complex problem so I, I, I kind of ask does that help help us appreciate maybe how much how, what it was like for this man to come and beg every day I mean got to swallow his pride for sure And he feels like this is the only way to get ahead, and he knows probably the whole time he's never going to get ahead. He's never going to get to the point where he can support himself based off of this. He's doing this as his only choice, and uh, and and does this help us? Does this impact us at all in understanding a little bit uh, what it's like to be poor? This really is important for us to know this, Um, and also when we think about what. just a short point, what James and John, I'm sorry, what John and Peter were going through, they, they were just walking to the temple, and I want to make this just a quick point. They were just walking to the temple going about their daily business. They didn't have to go out of their way to go and find somebody. Now, it's, it's good when we hear of poverty in the world to actually go out of our way and try to solve it, try to help people, but we don't have to go out of our way to find people who need help. Right, we're going to find them along the way. The struggle with, with with this community here, like not King's Cross, but just the community in which we live is that poverty likes to hide because there's so much shame involved in not measuring up in not, not being able to have as much as the status quo. To, 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 you know, people want to keep their poverty a secret and so it's hard. We as a church support a program, uh, actually we just support 17 families at uh, the middle school down the road, Trailside Middle School. 17 families who have uh, food insecurity. That means that they don't have enough money to bring in all the groceries that they need every week. And so every Friday, we have volunteers that, that shop and bring the food to uh, the school. It's distributed to these families. We do that because these families, and we do it all in secret. Everything is done in secret. It's all confidential. We don't even know the names of the families We have a liaison at the school who covers all that because it's such a sensitive thing. Poverty hides, and so it's hard to see it, but it's around us, right? So we will see it. So pray, ask Jesus to show you maybe, to show you maybe how or who, who it is in your life that that you might be able to help. Uh, Ask Jesus to to guide you in that. Okay, so, so they came. First they came, then they saw. They came, and then they saw. And uh, here we see that uh, the, the apostles were able to assess the situation, and they were able to see that he didn't just need gold. Like, some people, when they're, you're thinking you're feeling generous, you might feel like, well, I'm going to give him a $100 bill. That'll really make his day. Well, he needed more than just money, and they were able to see that. Uh, he asked to receive alms. Uh, so there's a lot of seeing words. Listen to this. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple... He, the man who was born with a disability, asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. There's a lot of looking going on in this passage, isn't there? And of course, the beggar had had his friends place them in a visible place. Like, there's a lot of looking going on. The idea of looking or seeing is a very powerful biblical concept. It involves not just detecting someone with your eyes, but, but really seeing them, trying to see them. For a moment, forgetting yourself and trying to imagine what it's like to, to be in their shoes. To see someone as... It's like an exercise in empathy. It's like really trying to, to see them. Not who they're trying to present themselves as, but to really see them. You know what I mean? And... Uh, It's a process of being curious rather than certain. Uh, There's a, uh, in the book of Ruth, which we studied, I can't remember if it was this last January or the one before, but in the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth is a widow, and and, uh, uh, through a lot of hard times her husband dies, her brother-in-law dies, her father-in-law dies, and she and her mother-in-law are are left alone and uh, without anyone to provide for them. And in that world, that was a very dangerous place to be. And they went to. They went back home to Bethlehem, and when they were there, they uh, were seen by Boaz. Boaz was a man in their husband, in their deceased husband family line. He was a. Uh, he was somewhat wealthy, but he had, he was a landowner. He he ran the farm. He ran everything, but he saw Ruth. And when he saw Ruth, he started asking questions about her. You know, what's she doing here? What's going on? He learned about her story. And this seeing moved him to do things for her, to provide for her, because he began to understand her situation. There in Mark chapter 10, we also see Jesus seeing someone. That Jesus was setting out on a journey once, and a man ran up and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this man wasn't just any person. This man had everything. This man had, had wealth. This man had education. He was high in society. And so it, the, the attitude was something like, I've got everything. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Again, following the idea that if you are, if you are wealthy, God obviously loves you the most, and so he's thinking, you know, God already loves me so much, but what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus, it says, uh, Jesus says, well, um, you called me good teacher, but, but why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you know the commandments. Uh, do all those things. And, uh, and, and he says, well, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He knew that this man didn't really need just one more thing, one more notch on his belt. He knew that all of the gathering of things and education was trying to fill a hole in his heart for significance, for value. That this man believed that his self-worth was determined by his net worth. And Jesus, because he looked at him, loved him and said, you actually lack something. So go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He's saying, I am what you really need. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. That Jesus saw him and loved him and saw what he really needed. Indeed, what the poor need is incredibly complex. And there are many ways to describe what poverty is. Uh, In fact, the book that kind of sparked this sermon series is a book called When Helping Hurts, and it's a misunderstood title. But uh, it's by two professors, Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett at uh, at, uh, Covenant College. And they... Uh, they say this, they describe poverty this way, that poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for, for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in any or all of its meanings. Now, some of you may know the concept of shalom, but shalom is the Old Testament concept of everything going the way it should be. Your relationships are the way they should be. Your finances are in order. Nothing is is completely disastrously falling apart. You know, shalom, it literally means peace, but it's a peace that encompasses all of your life, right? And so poverty is any way that shalom is broken down, And in fact, they go on to describe that we were created and the world was created without sin and and everything was good. It was the way things should be. But when Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit of the tree that was forbidden, then sin entered the world and all kinds of other things did. That there was discord in their relationship with one another. There was discord in their relationship with God. There was separation there. There was discord in their relationship with all of creation that God says... You still have to work. Work was actually a wonderful thing before the fall. But now you still have to work to eat. But there's going to be thorns and thistles. Work is going to be hard. And, and also, there's a fourth area that Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett describe. And that's our relationship with ourself. So these four areas are, are a brokenness in our relationship with God, a relationship with, with community. And we can see this uh, in many ways. First, our relationship with God. You know, there's... Um, Even Christians, even those who, you know, it's not just do you believe in God or not, but even those who believe in God, we can be lured away by the idea that, oh, by materialism, by something is going to make me happy. This Having this new thing is going to satisfy me uh, in a way that I feel unsatisfied right now. And if I have this one thing, that's materialism. We're all tempted by that. If I have this one experience that everyone else seems to be having, and I don't, if I have this, it'll make me happier. We're, we're, we're uh, subject to that. that. That's a part of our broken relationship with God that we even experience now. Also, our relationship with one another. Uh, their, their self-centeredness, um, arrogance, exploitation, and abuse of others, or being abused as well. There's brokenness there. That leads to poverty. Our relationship with, our, um, with the rest of creation, You know, like the systems that I described earlier, where it it feels hard for the poor to get ahead, uh, often, like, that really is just a part, those broken systems are just the same as as ground that has seed in it, but it won't rain, and so the the plants won't grow. All of this is related to creation. Finally, our relationship with ourself, either having a God complex or having low self-esteem, What often happens with the poor is they start to believe that they can't provide for themselves, as I mentioned before. So with all of these things, this man with a disability had many needs, but he was only begging for money. The disciples, however, saw that there were other things that he needed. Over the years, uh, Megan and I have had a number of, we've accumulated a number of uh, empty flower pots. And we've accumulated these empty flower pots. And I think we got rid of most of them recently because we can't keep houseplants alive. And, and I don't know why. I mean, it's probably because I don't even notice them. And so I don't do anything to them. Uh, and, then, and then, I don't know, probably the same for Megan. I'm not sure what. Uh, but I'm told, I'm not an expert, obviously. Uh, I'm told that houseplants needs, any plant needs sunlight, water, and drainage. And maybe something else that I don't know because I keep killing them. But uh, the, but plants need these three things. And just because a plant is shriveling up doesn't mean you just pour water on it. Like it might need something else. If all you do is pour water on a, a plant that's in poor health, uh, that's not always going to solve the problem. It might solve the problem. It could make the problem worse. Uh, in the same way, poverty is kind of like that. You can't just throw money at everything and expect... All of a sudden, the person to get better. There's a lot of things going on. It's, maybe it's not just money, but they don't know how to handle money. Or maybe they know how to handle money, but they just don't. Uh, like, the, there are other systems going on. Maybe relationally. Maybe their family is, uh, their relationships, they're broken. Or someone in their family uh, is in greater need than even they are. All kinds of things play into it, right? And as we uh, look and see someone, however, this uh, we can start to ask questions, to be curious, uh, and, and try to solve it in different ways. So Peter and John knew that if this beggar was healed, he wouldn't need to beg anymore. If this beggar was healed, he could be on the road to providing for himself. And, and as he stood up and praised God and was jumping around, he probably felt within himself a little bit, maybe I can make, you know, make a living Maybe I can actually do this. There's more than just physical healing that happened here. Uh, and by the way, um, you know, I, when I think about this, you know, was, we can often think, we can often see other people, but not really see them. And I feel like when we see them, but don't see them, if you know what I mean, that, that it's because we're most, most often thinking about ourselves. I think maybe just because, I, I don't know, if you're like me, I'm a little insecure. Most of the time when I look at people, I'm thinking, how do I measure up to them? Uh, you know, am I, uh, do they have it more together than I do? Does their life look a little better than my life looks? Uh, and we can play into the lie of the evil one that life is a competition and uh, that we might, uh, you know, we start to believe that we're, we're only going to be provided for if we have what everyone else has. And, and we kind of play into the pressures of, of society and we cannot see people because we're more thinking about ourselves and how we fit in. But self-forgetfulness in order to get there, we have to first go, uh, go through the cross and through the gospel. And by this definition of poverty, by the way, uh, you know we're all poor in one way or another. And so we might ask ourselves, in what way are we poor on the inside too? You might make enough money to get through life, but in what other ways are you broken and in need of healing? Ask Jesus to show you that. And if he does there'll be grace to come with it, right? He's not gonna, like, it's a good thing. Ask Jesus to show you that. Also, just real quick, his friends brought him, which means that as a community, we can kind of settle for second best. You know, they obviously had no idea he was gonna be healed this day, but they kind of just got into a system. Let's just help him out and do this. But we can also, as a community, expand our concept of what God can do in someone's life. That as a church, we can give to very good needs, and we should, and we do. But we can also pray, God, help us see outside of that box. Help us see what else we can do in that regard. So they came, they saw, and they didn't conquer, they raised him up. They came, they saw, they raised him up. They were, there were ways this man needed healing that even he didn't think was possible, but God did. So Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up, rise up, and walk. And he took him by the hand. He touched him. And he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Right? He was not expecting to go into the temple that day. He was expecting to sit outside the temple all day long and beg. But all of a sudden, he's walking into the temple to worship God with these two men who said something about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And, and all he knows is now he walks because of this Jesus Christ. And people there recognized him as the beggar, and so they were praising God. What is this that happened? They raised him up. You know, this is something... Uh, this, is, this does not mean that we should not, again, give to the poor. The fact that Peter says, I have no silver and gold my best understanding of that text is that they just didn't have anything on them, right? Uh, They they just didn't care anything that moment. They were just going to the temple to pray. They didn't think about it. They didn't have anything. I don't know what the reason is. I don't think we have to read into that too much. But because sometimes financial assistance is exactly what people need to get through a hard time. We'll talk about that more in a few weeks. But uh, this was something, and by the way, we, we also can't, This is something we can't do ourselves. We can't actually heal people. I don't know if you've tried. I've never actually tried. We don't have that power. We can't do that. That's not something God has blessed us or appointed us to do. Uh, We are God's ambassadors in so many other ways. Uh, But... What we see throughout scripture is that God grants abilities to perform miracles essentially to his, his prophets, the people who are writing scripture. That's really oversimplifying it, but that's kind of what you see. Moses performed miracles so that Pharaoh would listen to him. He performed miracles so that God's people would say, you are God's person, God, you know, speak to me. You know, and uh, same thing with, uh, with, with Jesus, except Jesus wasn't just a prophet. The miracles he did prove that he was God himself. And so the apostles have been given this power. These two especially went on and wrote scripture. Um, Again, that's a little oversimplifying it. That's the 42nd version. Uh, So we shouldn't expect we should heal people, but we can turn to Jesus in these times as we look to raise someone up. Because raising, it's easy to give someone money. Seeing someone recover, seeing someone rehabilitated, seeing someone develop Sometimes that's, that, that takes more than just a good strategy. That takes more than just money. Uh, and we need God's help for that. And you might even see the parallel. You might have already noticed the parallel with this passage and another. Because in Luke chapter 5, there's a similar passage where Jesus is teaching in a house and, and it's a packed house. And while he's there, there's a paralytic who's being brought to the house by four friends. And they can't get in the house. And so they go up to the roof and they lower him through the roof. They take the roof apart and lower the man right above where Jesus is so that Jesus would heal him. And Jesus kind of does another thing where he gives what wasn't asked for, right? That obviously, this man wants to be healed in this case, but Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone says, what? I mean, first of all, he's obviously wanting healing. Second of all, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, well, just so you know that the Son of Man, that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, he turns to the man and he says, rise and walk. And pick up your bed and go home. And the man got up, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home. And everyone was amazed. We are not left alone as a church, as individuals. First of all, not as individuals. We have the church with us to help the poor alongside each other. This is not an individual contest to see how each of us individually, like we we can do this together, right? But even then, we're not left alone. God is here with us. God wants to walk with us through this. And he doesn't expect us when we come across someone who has need to figure out the best things on our own. In fact, he wants us to pray through it. You know, to pray, God, give me eyes to see what's really going on here or how we can really help or um, help, uh, help this person and their situation change. Um, you know, those who are on um, a couple of the, the leadership teams, the leadership committees here at King's Cross, have, have come across someone, uh, a couple different people who have been in need. One person has had, been having seizures uh, just so often that she can't work anymore, she can't provide for herself, and we just don't know what, we're, what to do. Like, there's no amount of money that we can provide to fix that problem. There's, like, we're saying, God, what are you doing? Please provide for them. And we keep helping her, but it's not gonna solve the problem. Just, we're turning to God and saying, God, please intervene in this. In the same way, you know, when we're face-to-face with someone else's need, money alone doesn't solve it. Sometimes we just need Jesus to act in ways we don't know. As Dr. John Perkins, the Reverend John Perkins says, we need the person of Jesus Christ to transform not just the poor, but also ourselves. And so take this home. When you are face-to-face with a problem in your own life, know that, that God hasn't left you alone to figure this out on your own. That, that he, he wants you to ask Him for help. He wants you to come to Him and saying, God, I can't figure this out on my own. I, I am experiencing the brokenness of the world, and I can't pull myself out of this cycle, whatever that may look like, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's an addiction, whether it's uh, emotional, whatever it may be. Don't feel like God's left you alone. The call out to him. He, he wants you to know that he's there. So they came, they saw, they raised him up. You know, we can often feel good about giving to the poor, but so often it's done in a way that can make even the well-intentioned giver seem superior, uh, feel superior, the recipient can, recipient can feel inferior. The effect is we came, we saw, we conquered, but we're designed to have such a better relationship with the poor. That, and and there, there may be people in this room who probably don't want to be acknowledged, and I don't even know, who have received a significant amount of charity in their life. And there's a lot of shame involved in that. And one thing we can do as we interact with the poor is to help, help alleviate that sense of shame. And there's nothing that alleviates shame like the gospel. Because Jesus himself was not ashamed to be called one of us. He was not ashamed to leave the treasures of heaven to come and live as one of us. He was not ashamed of any of that. And he actually put aside the shame, scorning the shame, going to the cross, to bear our sins. And when he bore our sins, he and rose from the dead. He didn't just do something spiritual, but he began something, began his kingdom which will be fully inaugurated. It is inaugurated. It will be fully consummated one day when the world will be again as it should be. And Jesus will transform all the broken systems, all everything that causes us grief and mourning and crying and pain. And he left those treasures to be born in a stable, living and dying with few or no possessions. Many walked past him near the temple on the road as he hung on the cross. They mocked him. They said, You're doing this to yourself, right? Because if you were really the Son of God, you could rescue yourself, right? Yet though he was without silver and gold, what he did have, he gives us freely. He gives us, he gave us his life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to see as you see. Help us to, to have a heart, not only for the poor, but for others, in general, for even ourselves, the heart that you have for your people, for your creation. That Jesus, you, Jesus wept at the brokenness of creation. Jesus was infuriated at the brokenness of the fall. Father, we do ask that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you would use us to usher in and to work in a little bit of shalom in the lives of others that are experiencing a severe lack of it. Uh, open our eyes to see others, open our eyes to see you better and to see what generosity really is. Father, it would be our delight. And Father, why should we even bother, bother with it? Why should we, why should we even bother? Father, change us by the gospel, because in the gospel, we know that, that, that our net worth does not determine our self-worth, but that we each are made with inherent worth as image bearers of the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.